Good morning again. Oh boy. I don't want to be one of those guys, but uh, good morning again. All right, just making sure. I get lonely up here sometimes, so. I'm going to read for you a passage of scripture. You're going to see it on the screen. Uh, it's from 2 Corinthians, kind of a different passage of scripture, so hang with me here, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Father, I just want to thank you for your word today. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Open our eyes, Father, to what you would have for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I, uh, <clears throat> when I began college in 1992, back in the 1900s, it sounds fun saying that. Uh, 1992, first year of college, I started as a music education major. Music education major. That's a far stretch for somebody who at the time did not know how to read music. Okay, So evidently my guidance counselors were like, oh, whatever, that's not a huge detail. So you don't know how to read music, but you're going to teach people how to read music, and you're going to teach people about music. So that was me. And uh, it took me a grand total of two weeks my first year of college to realize this was a huge mistake, massive mistake. And part of the reason is one of the first classes you have to take is something called music theory. If you don't know what music theory is, just think math. And math is not my jam. And uh, I mean, music has all kinds of formulas and scales that you memorize and patterns that you need to know and different symbols. I mean, it's just literally math. And uh, I realized at that point, I really, really like music, just not enough to figure out how it works. And so maybe you're in that club, I, I don't know. But uh, I do. I still love music, though. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's powerful. This last Monday, uh, I took the staff on a little field trip. We went up to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, we went up there because there was a church there doing a racial reconciliation prayer event. And I wanted my staff to go up there to kind of experience that and kind of prepare ourselves for some stuff we're going to tackle next year. But um, I wanted to take the advantage of the opportunity, essentially, because I thought, okay, this is the first time I've ever had all of these people that work with me in the car together at the same time. And so I thought, it's time. It's time for them to hear my music. And uh, <clears throat> I quickly figured out then as well, my music's not everybody's music. And uh, I think most of my music selections got poo-pooed a little bit. But uh, if you were to listen, if you were to see my playlist, and Shelly makes fun of me all the time for this, I mean, you would see anything and everything. I love music. So, I mean, everything from rap and, and R&B to some old Stevie Wonder stuff to, I mean, then there's all kinds of, you know, show tunes and opera and, and all kinds of instrumental music and all kinds of different things in between, old art history music and just all kinds of different stuff. No country. I have standards. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not everybody likes the music I like. I get it. I get it. But one of the things that I, I do love, I think, about music more than anything is that music and I know other art does this as well, but music solicits an emotional response to us. Um, it's one of the reasons why we sing when we get together, we, why we worship together and lift our voices together. Uh, it's, you know, God, God uses that to solicit an emotional response from us so that we might turn 
somewhere else. It, it moves us and steers us through some of our emotions. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I know we've all experienced this before. Think of your favorite movie, one of your favorite movies. I can guarantee you that music was used to manipulate how you feel, how you're preparing for certain things. I want to share with you one movie. This is probably one of the best examples. I, th I think it's just an incredible example from a movie that came out a long time ago, back in the 1900s, okay? <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay, so how many of you have seen that movie? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. If you've not, you're missing it. It's, it's a pretty good movie. And uh, long story short, it's about aliens, of course. And so um, what happens is the most amazing thing that they do with the music in this movie is there's these five notes. And, and they play these five notes, and it's actually a theme of the storyline a little bit, but they play these five notes, over, and I know some of you are sitting there right now, and you can hear it. It's the, the earworm in your brain right now, and you know exactly what those notes are. You hear them in your head. Bum, 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 bum. Those are the five notes. Bum, 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 bum. And it's nice. Maybe not when I sing it, but it's, it's nice because it fits. It's very complete. It's these five notes that work together and all throughout that movie over and over and over again. They play those five notes in different ways and they, they really try to make you absorb and understand that those five notes, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So then, okay, spoiler alert, at the end the aliens show up, okay? Sorry. It's called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was going to happen at some point, right? So the aliens show up and there's this really amazing scene at the end of the movie where you've got this giant spaceship, right? And it's kind of landed on the side of this mountain. And then you've got all these scientists and all this stuff, and they've got light panels set up, kind of like these. And uh, what they're doing is they're, they're realizing that they can communicate with the aliens through those five notes. And what happens is this amazing exchange through lights and sound, where the aliens in the ship are communicating with the scientists on the ground, and it's this back-and-forth dance with these five notes and then all kinds of different instrumentation and scales that are built on top of these five notes. And it sounds awesome. It sounds very, very complete. It's an amazing, amazing moment. But movies are meant to do something to you, mess you up a little bit, okay? So all of a sudden, they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, bum, 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 bum. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment where the scientists do not get the response that they just sent out. Instead, it's more like bum, 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 bum. Okay, something's not right there. The note didn't go far enough. And all of a sudden, with the introduction of one wrong note, you in the audience know something's wrong. Immediately, you're like, wow, this is so cool. And then bum, then it's bum, bum. And you realize something's about to go down. And all of a sudden, your, your feelings change a little bit. Things don't feel as steady as they once did. I know that you've experienced this in your life before. In fact, I can almost guarantee that you've experienced sitting in a situation where you recognize the tune, didn't quite get there. How many of you have ever attended an elementary school band concert? Bryson, I love you. I have three boys, heavily engaged with music, all in band. You can't tell me for a second that that was a 100% pleasant experience, okay? Oh, Johnny, he's so good. Look at him. No, he's not. <laughs> at least not yet, okay? At least not yet. I mean, uh, the old standard is hot cross buns. Oh, my word, I heard hot cross buns so many times. And then I know I can hear it. Listen, I've been to so many of those concerts, and I, I feel like I manage stress pretty well, but at the end of those concerts, I would walk out of those auditoriums. I think I'd lost weight because I was so stressed the entire... Nothing ever... You're like, ah, you're almost there. Just push. Oh, no, oh, no, don't hit it right then. Don't, don't play the note then. You're, and the whole concert. And then when it's over, you're like, okay, I need something to eat. I need to fix my blood sugar or something. You all know what it feels like because it's uncomfortable. You need there to be resolution, right? You need there to be this resonance 
that happens when all the notes are clicking and everything sounds like it has its place. That's what it feels like. It, it feels very uncomfortable when things don't come to a resolve, when there's dissonance. And the movie makers do that incredibly. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a great example of it. I just want to share with you where we are this morning. So in our series, we've celebrated just the different aspects of God, God's grace and, uh, and the journey that God has us on to experience that. We've talked about this grace that goes before us, that draws us closer to God. Almost if you imagine like a walkway towards a house and, and all throughout your life, God kind of deposits these moments of grace that, that open your heart up to him and he pulls you closer and closer and closer and almost like he's got the goal to get you on the front porch. And then you learn about God's saving grace in your life and you open that door and walk through. And it's almost like God has called you home. So now you're home with God and then you begin to experience this sanctifying grace where he, he begins to transform your life from the inside out and uh, the gap that has existed between you and God gets shorter and shorter and shorter and he's allowing you and enabling you and equipping you to live the life that he asks you to live. And then last week, Pastor Ben did a great job talking about God's sustaining grace that meets us where we are and enables us to continue to be refined and continue to be obedient to God through the spiritual disciplines and, and different things like that. So some amazing, amazing stuff. Grace is absolutely amazing. There's a reason there's a song called Amazing Grace. We just sang about grace. It's a gift of God's favor. If you wanted a, a simple summary of what, what it is, it's God favoring you. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't deserve it. God just loves you. He favors you. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who I read from earlier, he suggests that we, you and I, are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors because of what God has done in our lives by grace. So we have a lot to celebrate when it comes to grace. Grace changes everything. God wants to do so many amazing things in our lives. Grace, grace makes everything different. Except when it doesn't. Except when it doesn't. You and I know that life is not a movie. Uh, our life... The soundtrack is different. Sometimes, uh, sometimes notes don't resolve in our lives. Sometimes people ask me, um, in fact, a couple weeks ago, we sat down with somebody who was asking me, what is the hardest part about being a pastor? The answers to that question change sometimes, obviously. Um, pastoring a group of people, I'm not saying this is you, but just pastoring at a time of racial and political division, that's hard. Trying to get people to lay down their allegiances of this earth to grab onto the same allegiance together, the kingdom of God, and, and treat other people well <laughs> in the process. That's hard. It's hard right now to do that. Uh, other times, you know, it's hard. Every pastor understands what it's like to kind of be in a fishbowl and there's a, a bunch of sets of eyes on you, and every single one of the people that owns that set of eyes has different expectations. Will he say what I need to hear? Will that person do what I need them to do? And all this. So expectations of people, that's always a hard thing. But honestly, over the last 20, 25 years, the thing that's hardest for me, I think, maybe, and hard might not be the right word, maybe more frustrating. The thing that really frustrates me is that I have the inability to enter into somebody's life and bring resolution. I can't bring resolution. When the notes are off in your life because of a, a situation, an illness, a relationship, or some tragedy that happens to you, I, have, I lack the ability to bring resolve to that for you, to bring resolution. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. Uh, I like happy endings. <laughs> I like when the pieces fit. I like when I can check everything off my list. I like when the notes harmonize. We all like that. We love how that feels. We think that's the ideal in life is when that stuff happens. The movie stars embrace, you know, the victim rises from the ashes. Uh, justice rolls down like a river. I mean, all, all these different things we absolutely love. But you and I know this is real life. This is real life. There's dark chords in life. There's pain in life. And it's tempting, it really is, to want to believe that, that it's a movie-style ending. We, we want that. 
our heart desires that. It's why we celebrate stories of victory, isn't it? We love those. We love those stories of victory. That addicted person who's touched by God and somehow through, through the miraculous power of God is able to turn away from that addiction never to return. We love a story like that. Or the married couple that goes through some unimaginable loss. And yet when you meet them, they're on the back side of that. And God has orchestrated some things to bring all of those notes together. And they're living this incredible life now. All of those moments. We celebrate those. The cancer no longer there. Whatever it is. We love those stories of victory. And we should celebrate those stories of victory. But sometimes the cancer doesn't go away. Does it? The marriage doesn't rise above the pain. Sometimes that addiction, by the nature of the fact that it's an addiction, grabs onto the soul of somebody again. And won't let them go. The notes start falling short. There's no, there's four notes, and they're, oh, you're, you're heading in the right direction, but that fifth note falls just short. What do you do then? What do you do then? Well, today we talk about how God's grace is sufficient how it's sufficient here's what that means sufficient grace meets us meets us in the ebb and flow of joy and sorrow of hope and brokenness and then this next line I want you to kind of bank it for a second grace pulls up a chair and sets the ground rules. In other words, you're at the table, grace pulls a chair right next to you, but also sitting at the table is pain, some joy, some struggle, some depression, some adultery, some A, B, C, whatever. Grace pulls up the chair next to you and says, thank you all for being here. None of you defined who this person is. I do. Your identity is not in your pain. Your identity is not in what somebody's done to you or didn't do for you. Your identity isn't in that tragedy. It's not in that disease. It's not in any of those things. Your identity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. A grace pulls up the chair in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through and reminds everybody at the table, I set the ground rules. This one belongs to me. This one belongs to me. Now listen, think of it this way. This is the sermon that out of all of these sermons, <laughs> this is the one I did not want to be the one to preach. So what did I do? I gave the last two weeks away. And now I'm preaching this sermon. There are things that some of you have suffered. Online even, who are watching right now. There are some things that some of you have suffered that I can't remotely relate to. Horrific things. Memories don't go away, do they? It takes day-to-day -day reliance on grace to make it. A grace that not just sustains you, but is sufficient enough to meet you in the midst of that. So when you wake up in the morning, you have to be reminded again, that thing does not define me. My identity does not rest in that thing. My identity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And sufficient grace comes alongside of you to remind you of that every single day. His grace is sufficient. All aspects of it. His prevenient grace. His, his saving grace. His sanctifying grace. His sustaining grace. It's all sufficient for you. No matter what's going on in your life. But you and I know sometimes promises are broken. Sometimes the person that you pray for dies. Sometimes the innocent don't go free. Sometimes the guilty do. Some promises are broken. Sometimes you and I, we fall short. We drop the ball. Sometimes the movie ends on a bad note. And yet, I want you to hear me very clearly. None of that means God took a vacation. It also does not mean that your faith failed. Listen, I, I've been around long enough. I've seen enough. I've experienced enough in my own life um, to know that there is more than one person right now hearing my voice that needs to hear what I just said again. 
bad notes in your life. If you're experiencing a bad note in your life, that does not mean that you failed at faith. Listen to me very closely because I've been in so many situations where I've seen so many Christians in places of power or places of authority say, well, if you just believed more, if you just had more faith, if you just prayed the right way, or if you just went and heard the right speaker and they said the right things and you followed those things, if you would just do A, B, and C, if you would just do that formulaic music theory type thing, then God would pull that out of your life. God would remove that from your life. God would set you free from that in your life. And God does intervene in our lives sometimes in that way. But then what happens when it doesn't? Does it mean your faith has failed? You walk away from those situations thinking, I must not be as godly as the person who sits next to me. I must not be as godly as the guy who stands on the platform and spouts off all the time. I must not be godly enough. I must not have enough faith. Bad notes in your life, listen, please, bad notes in your life do not mean that your faith is falling short. Somebody should amen, because that's true. That does not mean your faith has fallen short. God didn't take a vacation. You know what? We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world of tension and uncertainty. We, we live in a world full of people who make all kinds of choices. We all have free will. You and I both do. And sometimes in that free will, we make bad decisions. Bad decisions that hurt people, hurt us. But God's grace is present even and maybe especially when the notes don't line up. The notes don't line up. Grace refuses to leave us as a casualty of everything else at the table. We are not casualties of the things that happen to us in our lives. And I, I want you to make sure you're not hearing what I'm not saying. I'm a victim advocate, okay? And, and I'm not trying to erase people's victimization at the hands of other people. I just want you to understand, you're a victor, okay? You're a victor. There, there's somebody who's so much more powerful than we are who I, gives you your identity. You don't, you don't have to be identified with those other things. God loves you. He loves you. Grace sets the ground rules. Grace reminds us that you might experience a tragedy, it's not going to wreck you. We may suffer abuse, it doesn't define you. We may experience every single type of brokenness. The brokenness is actually, actually the backdrop of seeing God's strength being made perfect in our situation, in our weaknesses. So when the Apostle Paul was writing the words to the church at Corinth, I say this all the time, and it's just part of the reason is it's true. The church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, was just a basket of mess. I mean, they just, they were, they were just really messed up. And here's Paul. Paul had started that church. And so when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he's actually fighting to keep his influence with them. It's almost like he's fighting for his job with them. And uh, he wasn't from there, so they kind of started expressing their disappointment in him as a leader. He wasn't from there. There were better speakers than him, and even Paul would admit that. Uh, he wasn't particularly attractive. We'll come back to that here in a minute. Uh, he definitely wasn't Instagram-worthy. So uh, there, was, there was all kinds of things. So what's going on is he's writing this to the Corinthians. He's, he's, he's at risk of losing, um, losing his influence and essentially being set aside for some false teachers that had actually shown up who began telling these people what they needed to hear. The, these were the ones. They had the look. They had the right words. All of it. And so they're starting to dismiss Paul and gravitate towards these others. Now, the other thing that confuses this and messes this up a little bit, too, is Paul is writing to some Christ followers who would get, like, super excited whenever somebody talked about a vision that they had or some perceived prophecy or, oh, there's a move of the Spirit. And they were, they were experientially focused, so they would chase after these things. They loved the spiritual high. Okay, and Pastor Ben and even Jeff Stark a couple weeks ago talked a little bit about this in the last couple weeks. They would chase after the spiritual high, after the spiritual high, after the spiritual high, and they would have to find the right people to give them those spiritual high, spiritual high, spiritual high. But at the end of the day, their lives never changed. 
They were chasing one high after another, and then they ended up trying to find the voices that would give that to them. And so that's what they did. They chased after spiritual experiences, and they found some teachers who would fit that bill, who would give them what they wanted, right? So Paul does something so smart here. He starts talking about those things in his life, the visions, the, the amazing moves of the Spirit, and and grace deposits in his life. And if you were to read the scripture before I started reading earlier, Paul does that. He starts talking about being swooped up into heaven and being given vision and, and all this revelation and different things like that. He's basically laying out saying, yeah, I've experienced those things too. But then he does something that is not normal, which is Paul. He does something not normal. It's almost like Paul pulls up to the table and says, yes, look at all these incredible moves of the Spirit and grace moments and, and all this stuff in my life. It's almost like he takes those, he sticks them in an envelope, closes it, puts it on the table and says, those are all the high notes. Those are all the times when all five notes were hitting, hitting strong and firm. I don't want to talk about those right now, though. Let's talk about when the notes don't play right. He puts all this other stuff aside and he says, that's all great. I want to talk to you about my weakness. I want to talk to you right now about the thing in my life that when I really, really pray and hope that God will come through for me, all of a sudden the notes, they don't quite get there. They're just off. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. This is Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak... Then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. Now, <clears throat> people a lot smarter than me have struggled for millennia to determine what is this thorn? Don't you want to know what like the thorn is? I would love to be able to tell you that I know what the thorn is. I'm not smart like that. Uh, nobody knows what this thorn is. Now, the actual word that's in the original language speaks about something that that really is in deep, right? It's hard to get out, and it causes significant pain. So there's something in his life that just, it's, it's too difficult to remove, and so it's there. It's there. It's a constant reminder to him. It's just always present. And it's something that's hindering him. It's something that's, that's holding him back from, from all kinds of different things. And so he, it's always there. It's always there. It's not a little thing, something chronic, restrictive, something that played dissonant chords in his life. Now, some people argue maybe it was a temptation. Maybe, maybe Paul had some, like, there was one thing in his life that he was always tempted towards, and that temptation would just never go away. Maybe it was that thing. Or there's other people that say maybe Paul struggled with mental health issues. Maybe he, he, he struggled with depression, which, if you look at his life, I can't imagine he didn't, okay? There was so much stuff that went on in Paul's life. The word flesh, though, makes it kind of seem like maybe there's something physical, though. Uh, we know that it's reputed that Paul had poor eyesight and that maybe he had seizures. In fact, uh, the eyesight thing, most of his letters were dictated and recorded by others. Um, it's also possible he had a speech impediment. We don't know. We don't know. Whatever it was, whatever it was, it was a source of pain, for him. It was a source of struggle for him. But probably the most telling thing about all of that is he prayed three times and begged God to take that away from him. Now, I would not look at that, and I think my tendency is kind of sweep over that. Oh, he asked God three times. God, could you do this? No. Okay, well, I'll pray next week and see if you'll do it. Two, three, on a checklist. I don't think that that's how it worked. I think that this was significant enough in Paul's life, that it was one of those, oh, God, do you not understand? Do you not see what just happened because of this? This has got to go. You've got you to do something. You've got to help me. 
you've got to get this out of my life. This is destroying me. It's, it's, it's preventing me from A, B, or C. It's doing all of this in my life. Please, please, would you just take this, take this away from me? Three times, three episodes in his life, he got to that place where he's just crying out and begging, please, please. What's your thorn? And, and maybe more specifically, because we all know, we can all identify the things in our lives. Uh, what do you do? What, what does it mean when God doesn't remove it? What does that mean when God allows that thing to stay? Because I would love to be able to stand here and tell you, sustaining grace is the grace that comes in and removes that so all the notes play well. I would love to be, that is, that is the hardest thing that I've experienced as a pastor in 20, 25 years, is the inability I have to tell you something that all of a sudden all the notes would play well in your life. I wish that's what sustaining grace does. But that's not what sustaining grace does. Sustaining grace comes and pulls the chair up to the table and sets the ground rules. Sets the ground rules. Yes, pain happens, but it's not going to change your identity in Christ. It's important to understand, I think, what grace does and does not do. So really quickly, when the notes are off, grace does not erase your memory. Grace doesn't erase your memory. I'm embarrassed to admit that it took me until I was in my 40s to realize just how much impact things early in my life had on me as an adult. Um, I should have listened to my wife a lot earlier. (laughs) But it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I realized and acknowledged and owned the fact that there are some things that have happened to me in my life that have had an impact on me as an adult. Uh, Sometimes when I hear other people's stories, I do. I want so desperately to be able to come in and say something so that they don't wake up with that memory again tomorrow because of the pain that it brings to them. Uh, I can't do that. And sometimes it's not just what's been done to us, but it's maybe some of the things that we've done. There's so many things in my life I'd love to be able to forget. I'd love to be able to forget some of the pain that I've caused. And, and grace is amazing. It's amazing. But the memories persist, don't they? And part of the reason is because grace doesn't just erase our scars. We don't just erase the consequences of the things that we've done or that have been done to us. Those things don't just go away. Wounds heal in many ways, those scars run deep. The damage sometimes disfigures different aspects of our lives. Baggage sometimes reminds us, tries to pull us back into that place. Grace does not exempt us from some of the lasting impact of the pain that we, we experience and the memories and the emotions. Grace doesn't erase emotions. I'm embarrassed to say, too, it's been, it hasn't been until I, I hit my 40s that I, I acknowledged, you know, it's okay. It's okay if you get upset. It's okay if something horrible happens in your life and it makes you angry and it makes you frustrated and it makes you weep. Jesus Christ wept. He wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. He shows up at the graveside and he weeps, knowing full well in a couple minutes he's about to turn around and raise him from the dead. Yet Jesus Christ, realizing at the moment where the the law of sin and death comes into play and realizing the separation between him and a friend for all eternity, all of a sudden bearing the knowledge of that Jesus, he wept at the death of his loved one. I think if Jesus can do that, it's okay. It's okay if we do too. Listen, some of you, are going to wake up this holiday season for the first time in decades alone. Some of you will wonder if these are some of the last holidays that you have. All of us know what it feels like to have loss. 
to experience a lack of resolution when it comes to the lingering pain in our lives. You know, and I've been guilty of this. A lot of times what you have is you have well-meaning Christians who come and they start pounding out the major chords on a keyboard. Oh, come on. Come on. You know, you're going to push through this. God's so good and it's amazing and aren't you so grateful? Oh, don't you know where they are? You know, and I mean just all of a sudden you come in, you swoop in because you want to save the day and try to overpower the minor notes in people's lives, the minor chords in people's lives by lifting up these major chords, these major chords. And yes, we should be reminded about the goodness of God, particularly when you're going through any and every th- situation. But doesn't matter how many times I've pound those major chords, it doesn't make the minor ones go away. It doesn't make them go away. Life isn't a movie with a soundtrack. Being embraced by grace doesn't mean that you don't feel anymore because you're human. So am I. We're not God. We're not invincible. Contrary to what we might think. So Paul, Paul himself said that we carry the hope that we have. You and I, this hope that we have, we carry this in jars of clay. Fragile vessels that, you know what happens with jars of clay? They crack. They chip. Sometimes they break and we cobble them back together. We carry the hope that we have in fragile containers. And as amazing as grace is, it does not erase the fragility of life, our lives. So what does it do then? What does sufficient grace do? Honestly, one of the most amazing things it does is it it reframes our story. It reframes our story. It doesn't erase your memory, but it does move us, look at, through those things with God. Grace comes along and pulls up to the table, and and I think on a lot of different things back in my life before Christ, some of the brokenness in my life before Christ— I don't think God caused those things, but I can guarantee you looking back now, I can see how God was making these little deposits and he was using some of those things, some of those broken things even, to create a hunger in me, to create a desire in me for more, for wholeness. God used those things. He reframes our stories enables us to remember and retell our memories maybe a little bit differently within the context of his story. But then it also works in the cracks. Sufficient grace works in the cracks. And I know you've seen this. Sometimes God uses that brokenness, that discord in our own lives to shine the light for others. God's grace will work in the broken aspects of our lives to draw others to him others to him that's why when when paul says in my weakness god is made strong and he's made strong listen it's not about him it's about how god is working in his life and allowing people to see that he's speaking of the fact that in the cracks in the dissonance of our lives is where we see god do some of his most amazing work and it deepens our relationship with him we grow closer we become more intimate with god I'm guilty. I'm, I'm guilty of asking God where he is in my pain. Where are you in my pain? Not realizing that sometimes in my pain he's drawing exceptionally close. Exceptionally close. I'm not a demonstrative person, um, meaning I, I just don't chase, I guess, moves of the Spirit. I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not given over to emotionalism. I guess, from a spiritual standpoint. And so I hesitate to say things like, yes, God visited me in that car, or I heard God's audible voice. I hesitate to do that. But I, there's, there's one moment in my life where it became so obvious God was in the vehicle, <laughs> and there was just no denying that his grace was sufficient in my time of need to remind me and empower me and strengthen me and swoop in and lift me up. My, my dad and I had just met with the hospice nurses and my mom, and she was going to die. And so he and I got in his truck to go buy get a prescription that they just gave her. And this man, this stoic man, this man who was hard, this man who never expressed himself well or 
at all. Uh, you know, this, this man who I knew my whole life, who, who struggled in any sense of a way to convey his emotions, was driving a truck and immediately came to a screeching halt at the side of the road and jumped out. And I'm sitting in the passenger side thinking, oh, here we go. He, he literally came apart. He came apart. I thought he was going to vomit on the side of the road. And he, he literally could not contain anything anymore. And it just started pouring out of him. And I got out and I put my arms around him and I said, Dad, I'll drive. And as I put him back in, I remember going around to the other side, driving my dad's truck, which no one was allowed to do, by the way. I said, which is ironic because now I own the truck that he had. <laughs> but he, as I'm walking around the front, I remember praying, oh God, please help me. Please help me. And I got in that car and I listened to him weep. And uh, embarrassed, he said, I, I don't want anybody to see me like this. And somehow in the midst of all of that, I was able to drive, not cry, hold it together, speak with fluidity, and I said, Dad, you're about to lose your life. And I'm about to lose my mom. And it's okay. It's okay if you feel this way. And I want to tell you right now, again, I'm not, a, I'm not that guy, but I swear if God wasn't sitting in the back seat, I don't know who was. In that moment of my weakness, of my recognition that it is not in me to handle this, whatsoever. God came in. And honestly, for the next five days before my mom died, there are so many instances where rationally my response should have been something other than it was. Rationally. I should have, I should have been devastated, but instead was filled with hope. Instead, I was, I was filled with joy in, in some instances. I can't explain that other than I know that there was a grace that was sufficient that in my time of weakness where it was not in Rich Doring to pull this stuff off somehow he came in and pulled up to the seat pulled up to the table and said here's sorrow and pain and agony and death here's suffering and sickness here's all of this stuff Rich I got you I've got you Listen, we call our church real life. You do not get to call your church real life <laughs> without understanding what that means. Oh, it's just a cool sound and name. No, literally. We called our church real life. Real life hurts. You know that. But we also have to come to a realization that we are called to a more real life in Jesus Christ. He is the source of our hope. He is the source of our joy. He is the source of our peace. And I can't explain it, but it transcends human suffering. It transcends the situations we find ourselves in this life to where we do have an eternal hope that does not rest in the kingdom of this world. It rests in the kingdom of heaven. We have that joy today. We have that assurance. We have that peace. And I wish, I wish so badly I could swoop into people's lives. I wish I could swoop into your life and change that last note. So that as you walk out of here, all of a sudden you hit that chord and you're like, he did it. Pastor Rich did it. I feel so much better. This will never hurt again. It's going to hurt tomorrow. But God's grace is so sufficient that he will get up with you and redeem your day. <laughs> he will redeem your day and come alongside of you and remind you that thing that happened, that thing that happens, that situation, that sickness, that whatever it is, that is not your defining element. That does not define who you are. That is not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. In fact, when God looks at you, he doesn't see any of that. He sees Jesus. That's who he sees. That's the power of the grace that we're talking about. It's a grace that is so sufficient that there is nothing. And I want to make sure I, I said it before. I'm a victim advocate, so I'm not trying to erase anybody's Victim, victimization. I, I don't want to erase that. I get it. Sometimes life sucks. And people do bad stuff. That doesn't define you. You have a God who, who loves you enough to give you a son. He loves you. 
Grace is there. Grace reveals its source. We acknowledge our weakness. And we point out God works in those weaknesses and those dark moments. Those moments when the notes are off. When we do that and acknowledge those off notes, that's when we see that God shows us his grace is sufficient. This grace comes as a gift. And that grace is enough. It's enough. Grace is a reminder that living in the grip of God's grace means God is always enough. Always enough. So, this is one of the reasons I did not want to preach this sermon. I so do not feel like (laughs) I'm bringing this to a resolution. There's such an aspect of this message where I feel like I should be playing all five notes correctly right now. And you should be hearing resolution, but it's so hard. It's so hard. And so maybe the thing that I've wrestled with this week is maybe my responsibility as your pastor is not to make all the notes resolve, not to, not to remove that dissonance, but to remind all of us, including myself, that God is there in the dissonance. God is there when the notes are so off. Listen, there are notes off all around our world today, including your off notes, where there is suffering and pain and trafficking and poverty and the darkest dark you could ever imagine in a world. Those notes aren't good notes. It's amazing that God can make himself known in places like that. He's a powerful God. He can make himself known to you. What are some of the areas that you need to be reminded that God's grace is enough for you? I've talked about notes and music a lot today. Sorry. I do. I love music. Can I share with you just where we're kind of going in the next month before we bust out of here? I want you to look at the slide that's on the screen. The Christmas season begins next Sunday. Is that crazy or what? Holy cow. So um, I'm used to preaching all four Sundays of Advent and kind of taking the church through a theme and different things. That's different in this church, which is fine. Um, but I kind of want to carry on this music theme. And so what's going to happen the next two Sundays is I've picked picked two songs, two Christmas songs, uh, that I want to share with you and talk through a little bit because of the songs that they are and why they're important. The first one is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So we're going to talk about that next Sunday. If you don't know all of the lyrics to that song, I'd encourage you to Google it, check it out. Uh, That song, that's my song. That's my song. And uh, it's just such a powerful, powerful song. And there's a huge history behind it and why it's so important for us in 2021. But then next week, the the week after that, we're going to talk about I Wonder as I Wander. You're welcome. Leave it to me to pick a song nobody knows. Nobody knows. You're going to know it after that Sunday. Okay? It's a powerful old Appalachian Christmas song. And there's a reason the words are so significant. And so we're going to talk about that on that Sunday as well. Then after that, Jingle Jam. So if you're new here, all you need to know is this platform is going to be full of children doing unpredictable things, and we all get to watch it. So it's going to be a blast. Uh, Courtney Brown and her team have been doing an amazing job uh, getting these kids ready for Jingle Jam. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I think there's even some adults and teenagers that are involved in this as well. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Then the week after that's the Christmas concert, the annual Christmas concert for the church. I'm new here, so this is a first for me. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about how God can use it. What I want to encourage you to begin doing, and I've got a list of people I'm going to be working on, is start thinking about who you can invite. We're going to put some promotional material in your hand probably by next week or the week after, just start inviting people to the Christmas concert. Three different times on that Sunday, we want to encourage you to invite somebody. It's just going to be an incredible, incredible day where we just celebrate and have a good time as a church. And then I really want to invite you to be back December 24th for the Christmas Eve service. We're going to, I think it'll be a powerful time together, and we're going to do some unique stuff in here regarding the nativity. And uh, I really want to encourage you to be here 
for that. Be thinking about who you might invite to be a part of that as well. Sound like a plan? All right. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you today for your amazing grace. And uh, I thank you that you seek us first, that you seek us out. And Father, far, far before we ever had any inclination to turn towards you, you were depositing grace moments in our lives, drawing us closer proveniently acting in our lives so that we might come close to you. And then, Father, you offered us this hand of grace, this, this salvific moment where you open the door, you invite us in. And then, Father, you don't just leave us there, you continue to work in our lives, transforming us, making us more and more like your son, Jesus. And as, as we participate in that, Father, and you sustain us in that, as you continue to use those means of grace to to refine us and mold us more into the the form of your son, Jesus, we recognize that that's all taking place in a world. In a world, Father, that does not necessarily reflect your son. So what an amazing thing it is that you would work in us and shine the light through our cracks so that a hurting world might see the desperate love of God at work in our lives, dropping drops of grace in the paths of others, drawing them closer to you through us. This is a journey of grace. So, fathers, we submit ourselves to you as we leave this place today. Pray that we would do so acknowledging you are at work in our lives already. Help us to respond today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Find somebody, tell them they're good looking. <laughs>